Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. And the accuracy of who Christ is is described for us in God's Word. That's why we need to be serious students of the Word so that we can sort through some of the mixture that's given to us almost every day that we turn on so-called Christian radio and television. Well, let's move along a little bit faster. Number three. All right, the third here of a false teaching would be asceticism. Now, I know that's a big word, and we probably don't even use it much in our vocabulary or at all. But basically what that says is that you must eliminate things in your life in order for you to become holy or better or more righteous so that you then can connect better to God. So asceticism is the removal of things. So notice the three of them for just a moment. The first one was doing more works to get connected to God. The second one was doing more worship. The problem is it was the wrong object. It was often angels. This one says you have to do without in order to get closer to God. So notice that even swimming in the thinking of the Colossian people at that time were various philosophies that were going on. So Paul, he couldn't just teach one truth. He had to keep going it over and over and over again. And I don't know our congregation. I I don't know how all your thinking is. I don't know what you listen to. I don't know the books that you're reading. I don't know the tapes that you're listening to. But I know that you have to be very careful of the philosophy because the moment they do not have Christ and Christ alone as the foundational truth of that belief system, then all of a sudden you have some stuff that can confuse your value system and eventually even your behavior. So that's asceticism. Let's look at the verse here. It says, Therefore... If you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations such as don't touch this, don't eat, don't handle, which concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments of the doctrines of men, not of God. They sound real good. Men thought it up, though. So now you're following a philosophy of a man who has his own sin and error and propensity to even make mistakes. So he says, don't do these things. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Ooh, important. These things, and we could take it all the way up throughout what we've already said. Those things, whether it's legalism, mysticism, or asceticism. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. In self-imposed religion, it sounds good. I'm following a religion. I have my humility, but it's false. I even neglect my body, but have no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So it's not going to help you to self-deny. Again, as I did my research, I came across a person by the name of Athanasius Anthony. He was a founder of a monastic group. Uh, those are the kind of people that believe that in order to get closer to God, you've got to so much separate from the world that you go into a building where that everybody sacrifices, you eat very little, you hardly ever talk, and you pray and think about God, meditate upon Him pretty much all of your life. Some of you know about that. Now let me pause for a moment. Being alone and being quiet with God occasionally being free from the distractions, and maybe even not talking to others so you can center on God, that's a good thing. But to say that this little monastery is the only way we do it is where there's a great danger. Well, anyway, going back to my illustration here, this individual did this, but he felt that his body and his being was so evil that the more he could deny himself, takes a verse out of Scripture, denies himself, the more he's going to follow and be like Christ. It sounds so good, but he doesn't have a correct interpretation of Scripture. So what he chose to do, according to the research, was he never changed his vest or washed his feet for his entire life. 
And I could only imagine what he smelled like, and I don't know what the condition of the health of his feet or even how many friends he had around him. I can tell you this, though, that his life was messed up, but it came from somehow some information came his way, whether he studied it from other philosophers. He chose to think it, value it, and now it changed his behavior. And I'm thinking, what a horrible true loss for humanity that he was, that he would not have had to be if he followed God accurately. And then here's another individual. His name is Simeon, and he followed a group called the Stiletus. And for the last 36 of years of his life, he felt the only way he could get alone was to separate himself from all the accruements of this world. So he climbed up on top of a 30-foot pillar, and he lived there the last 36 years of his life, thinking that by the more he would sacrifice, the more that he would beat himself up, so to speak, the more humble he would be, the more God eventually would be pleased with him. Now, when you put this teaching against the world, it sounds so good. You know, do whatever it takes to make God happy. You know, if you really love the Lord, you're going to do all this kind of stuff. The problem is God is up there and he's, he's grieving because he says, first of all, that's not what I taught. Secondly, what I am teaching, you're taking out of context and you're adding the rudiments of the world's thinking and you're goofing all of this up and yet I made you in my image for you to know me and to make me known accurately. And none of them had to go through that if they accurately studied God's word for the purpose of applying it and sharing it with others. So those are just three in the false teaching. But let's look at the biblical worldview of this, and we're going to call this the true teaching of Jesus. I know that's a very simple phrase, but basically the true teaching of Jesus. Again, it says, beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. Take a moment, if you will, and underline the word, lest anyone. That tells me now that the person who could cheat me, the person who could give me misinformation, whether they would do it ignorantly because they thought it was truth or whether they purposely decided to steal my mind away from truth, it does say anyone. That means it could be someone as close as your own mate. I don't mean for you to be so suspect of your mate, but it could be someone in your family. It could be someone that you have trusted who themselves have done so much for you so you feel like, well, they've already done all these other nice things for me. How would, why would they ever want to lie to me about this? It must be true. So that's why it says, lest anyone. And so now you, in a way, we have to be a little suspect. And watch this, even of, of me. You have to be careful of what I might be sharing. So what you're hearing is to stimulate you to go further in the word, get into some more studies, understand this truth. But at the same time, always be aware that someone could give you misinformation that would not be honoring to the Lord. So it says, beware of that. Look at in the bold print there I put for you there. It says, when you have Christ, you have everything. Would you fill that in? When you center down on Christ and Christ alone, essentially what that's saying is you have all that you need. You don't need to do more works to go to heaven. You don't need angels to help you get closer to the Lord. You don't have to cut stuff out of your life. Because when you have Christ and you embrace him fully, completely as the Savior and as the Lord, and he is at the center of your life, you have all that you need. Now, I know that everything is a big word there, so I want to make sure that you understand. Even having Christ now, you might say, but, but I, 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 I don't have a car. But you have all that you need that pertains to life and godliness, and that's what you really need. It's not so much all that happens in the world, but it happens in your relationship with the Lord. So you have everything that you need to be intimate with God. Now look at the verse, verse 9 and 10. It says, For in Him, not legalism, not angels, and not taking things out of your life. It says, For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. If you will for a moment, look up here for a second. I like to kind of maybe use my hands to focus this because this can get a little complicated. 
The world system tries to understand the world system by using the world system. Then when they want to approach God, they often try to understand God but through man's thinking, man's world system. And you can't penetrate the knowledge of God using man's thinking because, again, man's thinking is not built upon the foundation of truly the sufficiency of Christ and the sufficiency of the world. So now you've got a little complication going on. The other side of this is that the world is temporary. Man's thinking is temporary. This is all going to change. It's going to be over with. But with God, His truth never changes. He never changes. This is temporary. He's eternal. So now, how can something that is temporary understand something that's eternal? How can something uh, that, that is so man-oriented with all of its problems understand something so perfect and holy is God by itself? It cannot do that. Now, the only way it can happen, here's the, here's, the, here's the key, is if that which is eternal chooses to reveal himself to us. So he says it's not us trying to get back to God through any form of religion or philosophy. It's where God says, I'm going to come and reveal myself to you. Now the question is, how does he do it? Now obviously through nature and maybe through some events. But the most accurate way to be able to understand the revelation of God is when you go through the great revelation, which is the Bible right here. So he chooses to help to, to give us the word. Now here's what he says. He also says, what I will do with my revelation is I will give you what is known as illumination so I can reveal it but now to turn the light on he says I'm gonna give you my spirit to be able to understand it but the point where this comes together the epicenter is the person and work of Christ on the cross by faith alone and that begins to open up this journey of study and hopeful under accurate understanding of who God is so what does this all mean to us first of all that you have a loving God who's concerned about you and everything in your world this God will reveal himself solely to you through his word. He cares about you. I don't know what your world was like. Some of you are going to be making some tremendous decisions about where to go to school and where you're going to live and how you're going to spend your money. Some of you are contemplating going further in some of your relationships that you have or maybe to pull out of a relationship. Some of you are making decisions that's going to affect your health and your finances. But I want you to know it does not have to be made alone. And it's not an existential God is here somewhere with us. It is God is very much concerned about your world, so much so that he's given you principles to help you make the kind of decisions that will please the Lord and help you navigate in an effective way. He is concerned for you. Second, you are complete in Christ. And you have need of nothing more. Now, I know we need certain things in this world, but again, remember what I'm saying. Whatever you have need of, if it's a genuine need, God will provide it for you. Whatever you don't have, it may be that you do not need it. So you are totally complete in Christ. Again, everything that you need to please God, everything you need to come to God, you already have. Now, some of you wish that you had a better relationship with someone. Yes, different relationships might help you along some. But I want you to know that you can still have an intimacy with God even when you're in relationships that are very much a struggle for you. Some of you said, if I just had better health, if I could just have better health, I know then I could spend more time in the Word. I can get to know the Lord better. Again, you are complete in Christ all you need is him and maybe even in your affliction you can say thank God because it's in my afflictions that I can get to know you more the psalmist said that as well so you're completing him the third bullet point says our spiritual commander-in-chief is above all power so some of you might now feel that you are under some form of oppression all of us go through that from time to time sometimes it's due to incorrect choices we made based upon believing wrong philosophies 
And you feel this pressure because Satan is dragging you in a, di- in a direction away from sound truth. And if that's the case, you are underneath some tremendous pressure. But no matter where that oppression is coming from, I want you to know that all the power is found in the person of Christ. So you are complete in him and he is the commander in chief. So for those of you, let's encourage you to return back to the word. Return back to Christ and Christ alone. I want to give you the second one. And there's five of them, but we're only covering two for today. All right, the second one is a secular worldview against an external and physical. It's a secular worldview that talks about an external and physical. Now, what do we mean by that? All right, let's look at the verse and you'll see what I mean. Some of you are wondering, does God really love me? What do I need to do? Again, this is in the context of taking things out of your life or putting things into your life. He says this, in whom you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you are also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now for just a moment, let me explain a little bit about circumcision. <clears throat> I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Kids, if you don't know what that is, girls go to your mom, guys go to your dad, okay? And if they don't know what it's about, go to Pastor Dennis. All right. Now, back to this. Back in the Bible days, as you recall, as the Jewish nation was being started, we'll say it that way, that they had what is known to be done upon the male child, circumcision. They started with all the men, and then from then on, on the eighth day, the men were circumcised. And part of that was a very painful surgery, a cutting away. That's about as much as I want to say with that. But why did they do that? I'm going to reduce it to two. There was a lot of main reasons, but these two I think will help us for today. One reason was, was to show to, to the world and to themselves that they were willing to do this because God gave the message to them through their messenger, Moses, through the law, you need to do this. So they were showing their commitment to God that he is our God, greater God than all the other gods on the face of the earth. So we will do whatever he says. Circumcision? Okay. And so that was a sign externally, watch this, of an internal commitment. They're showing externally what they believe inside. The second thing they did is that the rest of the world, we're going to call the Gentiles, those people, those men, they would not do that kind of surgery. So what it was showing to the rest of the world is that they would be separate and different from the rest of the world. So it was outward sign of an inward commitment to God and also a separation, a cutting away from the rest of the world and what they were like. And so God told them to do that. Now for us, we would look at that and say, that's a dumb little surgery. And I don't want to get into all the medical things and the benefits that we're finding out about it now. But I will say this. One more time, it's because they chose to build their, their belief system on God's word, although it wasn't all written. Commandments were, but not all of it. And so as it was written, as it was opening up on that journey of getting the scripture written down, they still believed in God. Now here's where the problem came. As it was so many thousands of years before the New Testament, and even before Colossians that we're studying now, the Jews then began to move away from their commitment to God to now it became a cultural thing that we Jews do this. So it was all about almost worshiping their heritage, worshiping their culture to do that. Not all of them, but some of them. So they moved away from the internal commitment to God to more of an external right. Now it became a badge. I am a Jew boy because I had this done and we are doing all of this stuff. And it, it's, it became more and more away from the purpose of God alone and at the center to more of a cultural thing. So now what happened as we move into the New Testament days, 
there was even some Jewish people that were understanding, what about these Gentiles that were going through this? And now we have to make, if a, if a Gentile wants to now believe in our kind of God, they've got to go through all of this. So now they made circumcision external physical to be something that they had to do, the Gentiles, to get closer to God because they were doing this as part of their culture. All of a sudden you have different groups popping up and putting different value systems on circumcision. So it all got messed up. So any particular group you were with, they defined the purpose and the reasoning for circumcision. And so what God the Holy Spirit did through Paul then was saying, I want to remind you that the circumcision that you need to be right with God is not the circumcision made, here it is, with hands, the cutting away of the flesh. It is circumcision because there has to be a cutting away and that would be of the sins of the heart. And that person who does the circumcising is not a human being who would do it upon you. It's going to be Jesus Christ who will circumcise not your physical pumping organ heart, but of your belief system, of your inner being. And that happened when Jesus Christ went to the cross. Now, how did he cut it away? He then took all the sin on himself of the world. That means he cut that sin, in a sense, from them, put it on himself. He died and he rose again. Now, to make that real, they had to place their faith alone in Christ. Jewish people had to trust in Him, Christ, as the Lord who is their Messiah. Gentiles had to believe in Christ as the Lord God Almighty. Whomever you were, whatever your belief system, and had to be Christ in Christ alone. Now, the reason He threw baptism in there, my opinion now, well, first of all, why He did it is because often baptism... And by the time I was reaching this time in the New Testament, people would get saved, they'd get baptized, and all of a sudden baptism was becoming a, a water immersion thing, was becoming stronger and bigger and bigger and bigger, that all of a sudden baptism could be a badge of an involvement, of a super uh, a separation from the world, and look what we're doing. So he's one more time referring again to the baptism where you're baptized with Christ. Now how does that happen? Now if you can watch my hands again, we're going to let my left hand for just a moment represent Christ who's alive. All right, he's alive. My fist then looks like this. He died, then he was buried in a tomb, and then he came back to life again. Death, burial, resurrection. All right, let my right hand represent you and me. Now when he was baptized, we're not talking about the time he was baptized in water, although he did that as an outward sign to show you what it means about the death. He went into a watery tomb, came back out again, and he began his ministry. But his real death that separated us from our sin and gave us eternal life, forgive us of our sin, was not when he was water baptized at the beginning of his ministry, is when he went to the cross. So here's what happens, because the word baptized means immerse. All right, so here's what happens. You and I then, we now place our faith in Christ. We're believing that Jesus Christ, here it is, that Jesus Christ, we believe in him, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again from the dead. So in a sense, we are baptized, we are identified, we're immersed with him, not so much in the water part, but in the person of Christ on the cross, where the circumcision occurred, not with hands, but of the heart, when he cut away our sins, forgave us of our sins, so we're all united together. Now, why do we get baptized? Why do Baptists baptize by immersion? That's another story. I encourage you to get that on our CD. It'll go through the whole concept of baptism. Basically this, it was not done by sprinkling because Jesus didn't have dirt put on him. It wasn't by pouring a bucket of mud on his head. That didn't happen either. It happened when Jesus went down fully in the tomb, went fully in the water and came out. We are now outwardly, by baptism with water, showing something. Here it is. 
an external based upon an internal. But the external doesn't get us to heaven. It's only the internal that gets us to heaven. Just like the Jews, it wasn't the external circumcision that got them to heaven. It was the internal circumcision that only God could do. Would you look at this verse again? This is key, and I'm bringing this to a close, so you've got to see this. In the middle part of the verse there, verse 11 and 12, it says this. Putting off of the body the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, when he died on the cross, took care of our sins, cut them out, buried with him in baptism. In other words, we identified with him, his death and his resurrection, in which you were also raised with him. Circle these words, through faith. It doesn't say through legalism. It doesn't say through mysticism. It doesn't say through asceticism. It doesn't say through faith and good works. It doesn't say anything but through faith. And watch this. In the working of God. In some contexts, that's the energy of God and the operation of God. It is God who planned the message of salvation. It is God who worked the purpose of salvation, the method being the death and resurrection of Christ. It is God through His Word and a spokesman that communicated the message of salvation. So it's all of God. And so when we trust Christ, He's the one who forgives us. We don't have to come to Him in any way other than say, Lord, I am a lost sinner. I cannot get to heaven. I am totally relying, here it is, by faith in your operation. You're going to make this happen so I can have eternal life. Now, again, you might be saying, but Stan, I'm already a Christian. I know all of this stuff. Remember, the context isn't so much that you know all of this stuff as much as the context says, beware of the false teaching that's going to confuse you of the stuff you should already know. And all I'm doing is be careful when you talk to people and you begin to think and hear what they're saying. Be sure you run it through the grid of Scripture that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So what is the biblical worldview, the internal and the spiritual? It all wraps up around that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that religion and nothing else is necessary to get you there but by trusting Christ. And let me give you a little PS on that. Just as much as all of that is to get you to heaven by faith alone, even your spirituality is not marked necessarily by a whole list of, of do's and don'ts and starts, stops. It's all done by you knowing the word, obeying the word, embracing the word, and through the word, worshiping Christ and Christ alone as you serve him with the accurate truth of biblical philosophy. May I encourage you with that, and maybe this week, may God use you as a tremendous witness for him. Let's pray, shall we? This is an opportunity that we give in the stillness of this warm moment that you and the Lord would have a personal conversation. And maybe right now, yours might be that you are going to run. You're going to pant like the deer pants after water for God. And you're going to say, Lord, I want you in my life. And right now, I, I have come with, with trying to please you with I thought was going to be doing good deeds. Or I thought it was by doing some kind of spiritual, mystical worship of, of things that are close to you, like angels and stuff like that. And Lord, I thought maybe if I stopped all of this stuff, that that'd get me into your, your family. But Lord, I'm learning that you did the work for me on the cross. You rose again from the dead. And I'm coming to you as a poor, helpless, broken sinner, knowing that the result, or the consequence, I should say, of that is is if I don't trust you as Savior, that nothing, no belief system will ever provide for me eternal life, a purpose for living. And so, Lord, I'm now going to forsake that type of thinking. I'm going to change my thinking. I'm going to repent of that thinking, change my mind. And I'm now going to come to the pure teaching of your word. And so, Lord, I am coming to you now by faith alone. 
And I'm claiming that verse that so clearly says that it's by faith in you. It's your working that will save me. And that when I die, I will rise from the dead just like Jesus did. And I want to thank you that I have eternal life in Christ. Now, my friend, if you say that in your own words, however it is, as long as it's by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, that you realize that there are some teachings out there that are not biblical, but you're learning now that going to heaven is strictly with Christ at the center of it. And you'd like for me to pray for you because you're trusting in Him as the Lord God Almighty who died and rose again for you. Is there anyone at all? Okay, Christians, I want you to be aware, again, that we're in a world where a lot of information is given our way. So let's beware lest we are deceived and cheated out of what the truth is all about so that we can be Christians that are serving the Lord with a pure heart, a pure mind, and a pure life. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is airless, that we can trust it. I thank you that, Father, the Spirit of God will guide us into all truth. And that, Father, that we would be serious about knowing your word because it's horrible consequences for us to believe something to be true only to later on find out that it's not. We've wasted time. We've wasted the intimacy we really, truly could have had with you in an authentic way. And so, Lord, since it's about authenticity, we want you to help us to learn your word. And, Father, we thank you that you've left it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.